This is Working File, a podcast about design practice and its relationship to the world. I'm Andy Mangold. And I'm Matt McInerney. On this episode, which has been a long time coming, we're joined by Chapel Ellison and Maurice Cherry to discuss the state of design journalism and the design community. So should we continue to expect that graphic design criticism is a garbage fire, or could we do better? The world may never know. Or we could just do better. So it's a panel show, and uh, this first week we are very lucky to be joined by two massively talented and great people. Uh, the first person uh, is Maurice Cherry. Maurice is the principal of Lunch, which is a design studio in Atlanta. He's also a podcaster behind the podcast Revision Path, and he's a million other projects. I can't possibly list them all, but Maurice, thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. We're, we're excited to have you on this first show. I think you'll You'll be an excellent member of the panel. And another person joining us uh, is Chapel Ellison. Chapel is a writer, a uh, design writer specifically, an editor, a critic. She's got an excellent Twitter game. I've been admiring, admiring those tweets for a long time. Uh, Chapel, thank you for being here as well. Uh, thanks, guys. It's a big treat to be invited and uh, also an, an honor to share some, some audio space with Maurice, whose work I also follow oh well, thank you yes we're all we're all very very lucky to be maurice's presence he's the greatest and i don't know where he finds the time to do all the things he does can you maybe shed some light on that can we find out you don't sleep wasn't that the trick yeah it's like a, i do like a polyphasic sleep kind of schedule so ah there is you're like a, is that thomas edison or ben franklin who did that first well not first but yeah, they probably i'm pretty sure they both did it you're like you're like a modern ben franklin <laughs> yeah let's say that <laughs> let's go with that yeah you also you have the podcast all about tea so maybe you're just really high on caffeine you're just hitting the caffeine all day every day i have actually had no tea today oh boy it's interesting after i after i did the podcast um the year of tea where i reviewed a different tea every day i sort of scaled back a bit i mean i scaled back my collection of course but i don't drink as much as i used to but at least the tea that i am drinking is really really good so did you kind of ruin it for yourself by drinking so much tea for a whole year no, I don't think I ruined it. I think it was more so it's it's any kind of sort of overexposure or immersion into a subject where you feel like you probably know a lot about it. So it makes you a lot pickier about what you do, you know, end up drinking. But I was always kind of picky in the first place. So I don't think it I don't think it really hurt anything. That's your secret. Live more like Maurice. Just be more picky about your tea and sleep like <laughs> two, 20 minutes every four hours. And that's how you get as much done as Maurice Cherry. Well, I'm very glad you're both here because this first topic we have picked out, I think, is the perfect topic for the first episode of this show, of this podcast to be, and I think you're two good people to have here talking about it. And what I want to talk about is kind of like just the state of the design community, uh, design criticism, design journalism, all of the kind of orbiting worlds around graphic design and kind of where they're at, because one of the reasons that uh, I'm excited about making this show is that I feel like there's a missing piece in the design world. Uh, when I look around at design publications, at prominent designers on Twitter and other social networks, at you know the communities we have for graphic design, things like Dribbble and other places that are explicitly for graphic designers and designers, uh, I, I have this wanting, I have this, this sense of a, a, a part of the conversation that's lacking, this like depth uh, of conversation and this like depth of criticism that I just don't see. And what it comes down to is I've been a professional graphic designer now for five years, and I've been studying it for, you know, nine or 10 years, you know, more or less full time. And I love design. I love thinking about it. I love doing it. Uh, and yet when it comes to actually reading about it or listening to podcasts about it or talking about it, I just am constantly let down by all of the things that are out there for designers to consume. And I'm kind of wondering if this is just me or if other people also feel this way about the design community uh, and kind of just why, why is all this stuff so bad <laughs> is the question I really have. I mean, Andy, maybe you're just really hard to please here. That's maybe. entirely possible. <laughs> There's a very good chance everything is fine. And I just am a very difficult person to please. But I, I, more specifically, like when I look at, you know, the, the blogs that pop up first to mind that are kind of exemplify this type of design journalism and community that I'm, I'm referencing are like the fast companies of the world where design is kind of minimized to this 
weird trivial thing but also it can like change the world but in a vague way and the way they talk about it and reference it is very glorified and uh you know raised up uh and it doesn't feel real to me i've, I've never like I very rarely read something online or, uh, you know, I'm part of a group of designers socially on the internet talking about something where I feel like the conversation is anywhere near as interesting as it is in my workplace or it was in my uh, education when I was going through school, uh, that all the conversations I've had about design in the real world have always been so much more rich and fulfilling than ones that I see happening online. Um, so maybe it is just me. I mean, Matt, you and I have talked about this before. Do you do you know what I'm do you know what I'm feeling? I know exactly what you're talking about. I've had this feeling too, where you just every time you see a design article that it's linked to from Fast Company or from Wired Design or some other medium uh, or literally medium, you, like it's just this, there, this. Everything falls into these like few categories of like allowable design articles, and it just seems like the deep thoughtful thinking and the the. Um, the, the like conversations that we might have or the conversations that you might have with coworkers who are really thinking deeply about the thing that they do just don't seem to be happening or they're happening in like one or two places. And the, the majority of what you're seeing is just like, check it out. We 3D printed a bracelet. Isn't that cool? <laughs> Design. The future. <laughs> um, you know, so most industries that are creative, um, they have critics and writers. Um, stuff like art food, theater, these all have critics. But, you know, in comparison to design, all those industries are so much older. Um, and design, honestly, you know, you really didn't start seeing published design criticism until the mid-century, until the 50s. And even then, it's mostly architecture. That's probably the most well-established um, design criticism uh, game. Mm -hmm. But so, you know, you have these... These uh, it, design, by comparison, is so young. And so it's kind of unfortunate that it feels like design is just kind of coming into its own in a time where we have this like garbage fire that is the media landscape <laughs> right now. And so, yeah. and so we also can't, we can't back away from the fact that design, particularly graphic design, is like an industry that only really exists to sell things. Um, that's kind of the history of it. Mm -hmm. There's some other nuances of why um, that this industry is is more than just selling. I know that, but anyways, it was it was created to sell things. So you have things like the fast companies and 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 these sites where there is a lot of writing on there that is the result of a press release landing in someone's inbox, and and that's just because again this garbage fire we're in the the media landscape uh <laughs> we still unfortunately have sites that where people are pressured to write and publish a dozen articles a day and i've been a part of that world i know what it's like so i get it some days you have to make the article based on that press release because you're under the gun it hits your um, quota it hits your quota and it's a bummer because I think a lot of people see this stuff and it's like, oh, this is what design is. Uh, it's about 3D printing, you know, a T-shirt, which is cool. But also, like, it gives this really weird impression of what design is when, as you're saying, we have much deeper nuanced conversations just with each other. I've wondered that, too. First, the, the how long the industry has been around, the fact that it, like... It's still maturing. Uh, it definitely hasn't been around as long as architecture. Whenever I think of design criticism, I definitely think of architecture first because at least it has a history to it and there are like established figures um, that have been around for like more than my lifetime. Um, I also wonder if it's just that this is our industry. This is the thing we're focused on. Like if I were an architect and I was reading architectural blogs, I'd feel exactly the same way. Like, I don't need to read another article about, you know, a building that's going up, the, the next tallest building or something. That's their version of this, or I don't know. Well, yeah, it's it's weird for any industry. It's weird to talk about whether or not people are talking about their own industry, right? Like, it's, do plumbers sit around and say, you know, like, man, no one's reading about plumbing. You know, like, I, I really don't know, but it does seem to be something in design that we do, like, obsess about. A lot. And I think you touched on something really important there, which is the comparison to other creative industries, because design is differentiated from most plumbing. I'm not going to say all plumbing is not creative. There probably is some very creative plumbing going on. But you're, I think your average plumber doesn't think of it as as much a creative task as your average designer does. And the, the movie comparison specifically is interesting to me, because when I think about movie critics, 
I don't think about them in the context of like critiquing movies to better the medium, to talk to other filmmakers, to kind of like continue a conversation that's for an industry internally. I think of them mainly for, you know, to feed the financial machine, which is Hollywood and right, like which summer blockbuster you're going to go see and, you know, which got the most thumbs up or the most Rotten Tomatoes scores. Like it's all consumer facing as far as I can tell, or at least most of it, but I'm not really part of that world. Um, Chapel, do you have a sense of the other, you're much closer to the world of criticism, which is why you're here, frankly, uh, oh. than I feel like I am, uh, or Matt is, uh, Maurice, I'm not sure about you, but, um, do you have a sense of if there is a distinction between criticism for consumers of something versus criticism for the makers of something? I don't know. I mean, that's a really good question. Um, and I, I, I think that line is kept intentionally blurry so that again, the media, the garbage fire we keep discussing, uh, so that it can spread to the widest audience possible. Um, and, you know, I know I personally, when I do write about design, which isn't as often these days, but when I do, I tend to want to write for everyone, um, which maybe is a pipe dream, but uh, design is so, so, so pervasive now in everyone's lives that I, I feel like everyone everyone should have the chance to be a critic of design, um, which I guess is probably a whole other conversation about like democratization and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I do, I think it does bring up, you said something earlier that I think is a a good thing to question. And I, I really wonder like, what do you guys, what do all of you, um, what for you is the best case scenario of design criticism? Like what do you want to gain from reading a piece of design criticism? I can answer for me. I mean, what I'm interested in is hearing about the complexity behind the problem being solved. And if relevant, hearing about the sort of creative or interesting ways in which some of those complexities were handled in the execution of something. Um, You know, most of the design I do is in software. Uh, The company I work for does apps and websites, as is the fashion these days. And so oftentimes the things that I'm most proud of in my work are like, oh, we had this technical limitation and this kind of data coming from the database and this, you know, particular, you know, context we had to solve for. And so we did this thing, which if you look at it for 30 seconds, looks completely unremarkable. But if I were to write a short, you know, case study and explain to you all the things that went into it behind it, you would come to appreciate what it's actually doing in that system more than uh, if you just looked at it briefly, which is how everyone looks at everything in garbage fire world. Um, So (laughs) what I'm interested in is like, there are a few things that I've gone, like the things I've worked on, I've gone deep (laughs) enough into those worlds to understand the complexities and the the trade-offs and the things that we're actually doing. Uh, I don't understand that about all the millions of worlds and industries I haven't had a chance to work in. uh, And that's what I'd be interested in being exposed to through design criticism is like, here is a solution to something. Here's the design piece, and here is what it's actually doing, and why it's doing it this way, and not a different way. Um, and what I, I don't see is that. What I see is, gosh, isn't this beautiful? This is so interesting. It's a callback to whatever. Uh, you know, this kind of very shallow. I, I, it feels to me like the consumer-facing criticism, right? Like you are a person. You care that your Instagram app icon changed. Here is a trivial article about the Instagram app icon that you yourself can look at and either laugh or nod your head and then move on. Uh, what, what I'm curious about is what did the actual people <laughs> that designed the Instagram app, because we know that there are, is an incredibly enormous team of extremely talented people that work at that company, uh, what is it that they actually thought and did when they made that icon? And so uh, I think the role of a good critic is somebody who's supposed to try and get to the root of that without having to have it explained to them by the person that made it is kind of maybe my vision for, for a really good critic, someone that understands that context and is willing to really dig deeply. Um, I guess that's what I'm looking for. I don't know. Is that, is that asking too much? I don't think so. I mean, I think similar to what Andy was saying, I really kind of want to know about the process behind it. Uh, similar to, to what Andy's saying, a lot of what we see as design criticism tends to be very much knee-jerk reactions. Um, I saw it. I don't like it. It's ugly or whatever. You've also got the ones that I guess their form of criticism is to try to redesign it themselves or to try to change it themselves after what a team that has spent probably, you know, weeks and months and hundreds of thousands of dollars trying to to change and redesign. Mm -hmm. Some student probably thinks they could do better in 20 minutes, you know, and posting it on Dribbble or something. But I want to hear more about one, that process and two, 
whether or not that redesign really sort of um, hit the business goals that that company wanted. Because a lot of these, you know, when we talk about design criticism and we're looking at it from that consumer standpoint, it's really, I think it might be kind of obfuscated by what is best for the business. Because if the business is doing a redesign for, you know, whatever sort of reason, whether it's a new logo to try to attract a younger crowd or something like that, they've got their reasons that are probably completely different from what a consumer's uh, reasons might be. Yeah, that's a good point. I think the the impact of the actual design is also something I'm very interested in. And I'll go a little bit, I'll go a step bigger and say that business impact, if it is a business that's redesigning something, but I'm more interested in knowing like what were the actual goals of the redesign and I think in, or design in, in the first place. And to your point, Maurice, I think in a lot of cases, the goal is something financial business related, right? Like right. we want to sell this app. So the app icon needs to look a certain way or we want to, you know, market something in some way. And to Chapel's point, design is really about selling like the the dna of this entire industry is about selling stuff but you know when you look at uh let's say like a university rebranding i don't think the university is like our main goal is to get more admissions therefore more money we're trying to get more students enrolled so we think the best way to do that is to change the logo i think the goals are probably different in those situations and so what i'm interested in knowing are what are those goals and then did you actually meet them with the thing that you did uh that's that to me seems like the base level of like criticism, right? Like, here's the goal. Did you meet it or not? Uh, and knowing those goals already is like one level that is almost always completely absent from all of this quote unquote criticism, the actual goal, right? Yep. Like people talk about the, Inst- the Instagram icon change is convenient because it just happened last week and because it's such a stupid thing everyone is complaining about in weird ways. But that's a perfect example, right? Like people presume what Instagram's goal was in changing that icon. They have no idea what the actual goal was necessarily, right? It does strike me that the things we're saying, the things you're saying, uh, specifically, Maurice, what you mentioned about um, kind of wanting to know what the goals were. And then uh, what that leads me to is like what the effects were. I'm more interested in the in the article about, you know, whatever redesign like five years later, which is in direct conflict with what, you know, the kind of media landscape wants right now, which is the icon is out. Let's talk about it. Let's address whether it's a failure right now. And then we'll never talk about it again. I'm way more interested to know if that. If the, if the Instagram icon makes a difference in one year and two years and five years or whatever, it's totally different then. But that's that's kind of when you judge it. Like right now, we kind of don't know anything, right? I don't think it's going to make a difference in three months. I mean, are we still talking about Uber's redesign? Well, that's the thing, though. Like that's that, at that point, that's when it has time to time to permeate and actually maybe has actually affected your life or not. And that's when we don't care anymore. So nobody's going to address it at that point. But isn't that when it's really most interesting? It's like the Cooper Ross stages of grief, you know, like I think at some point in time, we just accept it for what it is. At first, there's denial, there's anger, there's bargaining, there's, you know, it, it, it no, goes it's through those true. stages. So, so certainly in a few months, I don't think there'll be this hubbub about the Instagram icon or anything like that. No, there won't be at all, because that's because all it is is a knee jerk reaction. It's not an actual criticism, which could come in looking at the effects of what happened here, you know. And I think uh, the. On on Twitter, Twitter's done this funny thing um, where, you know, there's that immediacy to judge uh, quickly um, that we've been talking about. Um, but people kind of confuse Twitter as criticism, as people offering up criticism. But it's really, it's not. It's just reaction. And yep. there's a big difference. Yep. And reaction can be interesting on its, in its own realm, but it's not necessarily meaningful. And so the the Instagram thing is a perfect example of that. It was just reactions. And, you know, um, I was talking with a, a Christy Tillman on Twitter, who is a wonderful human. Everyone listening should go follow her. Um, and we were talking about this thing where people were just trying so hard to be clever in their tweets about this Instagram logo. And people... You know, people are more concerned with being clever than really wanting to see if something can be better. And it's this funny thing that happens on Twitter where people just say like, oh, I'm so glad they spent so much time on this, like really sarcastically. And it's this idea that if a design, a new design looks as if it is too simple, so therefore not much time was spent on it. It's this idea that that means it must be bad. Which I is, love how that won't die. That, it's, that it's fallacy. Very, it's very odd. And I'm just like, how, okay, t- how do I design something to make it look like I spent years on it? 
you also, know when was that ever true it's not like in the it's beginning not. of design it was like everything took forever you know you could draw the nike swoosh or the you know whatever logo from the mid-century in 30 seconds in illustrator today and i don't see people living those criticism against those things it's well, just it's, uh it's but weird. i do people think keep, i do think it has its, it has its origins in like fine art where it's like well i want you i want to see a photorealistic rendering of a thing that proves that i can't do it and only a person with great talent can do it like i think it comes right. from that it's it's the same criticism you'd see of modern art where it's like oh it it resembles something i might be able to do um if i if i remove any thought that was put into it therefore it's bad because i could then do it i mean i think that's like the number one criticism you'd see of any any modern art that uh, mm -hmm. is like in any way abstract, right? Yeah. I think it's just the same thing put on a logo. But it's, it's also, um, there's this idea too that if something looks too basic or simple that um, the viewer is maybe missing something. And so they get actually a bit fearful and they can, that's when they start throwing jabs a little bit. And um, it's this idea that it has to look very like, so much time has gone into it. And, and like I had a, had a design history teacher who talked about the way that um, the housewives used to go shop for alarm clocks in the 1950s. Um, they would actually pick up alarm clocks and hold them and judge them by how they weighed. So the one that felt the heaviest, that's the one they would want to buy. That's because how I still shop today. Exactly. I had no idea that I was so closely resembling a housewife from the 50s. Exactly. So it's like there is this funny idea that um, we have in our heads about how something should look complex or maybe beyond us. Because otherwise, you know, you know, why are we in this stinking world? You know, like it's this very kind of weird old school mindset in a way. And I want to come back to this, something you said earlier about how, you know, when this icon hit everyone on Twitter was just trying to make their cleverest joke about it and, you know, attach the funniest gif they could find to their yeah. commentary about the, the icon. And you're right. I mean, that's definitely what people do because that's what Twitter rewards, right? The, the system gives you the likes and the retweets for something short and clever that makes mm -hmm. sense now and won't make sense in 20 minutes because who's looking at 20-minute-old tweets? Nothing but losers, right? right? So uh, that, to me, is a perfect mirror of the garbage fire media landscape, right? Like the having to get a certain number of articles out and having so many web publications measuring success in terms of views as opposed to some other, you know, editorial metric. Uh, it's the same thing, right? Like an article that gets a bunch of views or a bunch of retweets is the exact, is the equivalent of that clever tweet that's just reactionary and not at all critical. Um, so my question is, at what point does people just, you know, being human and reacting to, you know, an icon because they're doing their human thing and trying to get the internet points. When does that become like the DNA of a community, right? When you have all of the graphic designers on Twitter and they're all doing that, at what point does that stop just being a cute thing and just happens and start being like a lack of a critical conversation in the community because everyone's willing to respond and react, but nobody's willing to actually think about it? I don't know. When was designer news started? <laughs> 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 I can write that on my list of things to talk about. <laughs> no, but I mean, it's a thing, right? So uh, designer news and dribble to me are like the formal codification of these, of this behavior, right? Like, so here is your reactionary tweet. Let's instead take that reactionary tweet and let's put it in a, you know, imaginary unsolicited redesign on dribble, or let's go to designer news and read all of the comments on all of the posts, which are basically everyone's tweets all in one place. So you don't have to bother searching for them. You can just hit it hit after and over and over again with stupid thought after stupid thought that people think are cute. Uh, both of these places, I, I wrote a little blog post a while ago about how dribble is designed as a media outlet. It's designed as a place that values those internet points uh, over any kind of depth of explanation behind a design and how no part of that system actually encourages criticism at all, really. Um, just having a comment thread doesn't mean you're encouraging critical discourse. And I think the same is true of designer news. Like the system is designed like a Reddit style upvote thing. So stuff's on the front page for a short period of time and then it falls away. Uh, it's very kind of, uh, you know, fickle with whatever is, happens to be trending at the moment. And yeah, everyone's trying to get their get their points and make their little clever comments so they can be part of this you know moment in the spotlight. Um, how much of it is just these systems that are just not served by? Am I being too too ambitious with my goals for what I want <laughs> the design community to be? Is this just humans, and is this just what happens in every industry when you when you get deep enough? 
Well, I, I do think, you know, part of the whole, the whole life cycle of criticism, um, you have to do your part too. You have to do the work. And part of the work you have to do is to determine uh, what criticism is meaningful and what criticism is meaningless and also stupid. Um, so again, the internet today is, it's a fire hose, you know, it's a fire hose of information and it's very difficult to try to like avoid some of that, that, that fire hose when you know it's terrible. But I mean, I I don't even consider designer news in my, it's not even on my radar and like design criticism is, is my thing. And that's just because it's like, you take one look at it and you're like, oh, I get it. This is not meaningful. It might be fun to blow off some steam, but it's a different kind of thing. It's not design criticism. It's just kind of people yeah. talking on a subject. And it's, it's part of, a, honestly, it's, it's a, a symptom of a larger thing for me, which is that I honestly don't know if the internet is a good place for criticism. Because to me, criticism is, it's a bit of a social contract. And so it takes two people and both people have to feel equally empowered and on the internet, people most often do not feel equally empowered. Um, and that's like a perceived struggle because like if someone tells me my work sucks, I'm going to automatically assume that their their mother's stupid, that they're, you know, like, <laughs> so it, it's kind of a, a, it's a bigger life cycle issue to me. And places, you know, it's there's nothing wrong with designer news if you just want to go be pithy. It's the same thing. I mean, I love jokes. You guys see my Twitter feed. I'm all about it. But, like, <laughs> I'm not going to kid myself into believing that that's all meaningful stuff and that it's actually good for me. It's, it's basically like going to the cabinet, opening it, and pulling out, you know, Cheetos. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, well, one thing, Andy, when you started this episode, you kind of said, I mean, you kind of made the assumption that the internet should have a place for criticism. And you followed up by saying, like, I have great conversations about design criticism all the time with my friends. Like, why should it be on the internet and not just you amongst you and your friends? Well, I, there's a couple of things I'm interested in here. One of them is like criticism. And to me, yeah, I definitely agree. Designer news is not a place for critical discourse, nor is dribble. I don't think either of them ever were. I think there are places for community, though. Like, I do see them as, like, if you are a graphic designer and you're really interested in getting involved in the community, here's a place you can go for it. And, and that's why, Matt, I, I really feel like there should be a place on the internet for the kinds of conversations that I think we should be having because some people don't get the opportunity to go to a fancy art school where they get to have these conversations or work for a company where they're surrounded by people that are interested in the same things and willing to discuss something in depth. Uh, or if they yeah. just don't live in a place where they can go to some, you know, tweet up uh, or and meet a bunch of people that have the same kind of thoughts and feelings as them. And I feel like if that's not what the Internet can do for us, <laughs> then that, that's like what the Internet should be, right? It should be this way that worlds that are otherwise, uh, you know, sectioned off and, and keeping people out are now opened up to people that otherwise didn't have access to them. Um, I've learned a lot from the internet. To clarify, I agree with it. Like, I also want that thing to exist. It's just, that was kind of an assumption you made that, like, definitely the internet should be for this, right? And I, I that's my dream of it, too. But uh, every, like, you just imagine it could be that, but then you see the result of everything, and it's just the opposite of what you want. So, but I think it's more that we make systems that reward this kind of behavior. Making a Twitter, making a dribble, making making a, a thing that rewards like a short bit of information in a fast period of time and a like button is the end result. Like that's always going to end that way. So it's just about creating a different system. I don't know how you make that system popular though. Well, it's funny because until Chapel mentioned, I hadn't considered that the problem was really just media and, and not <laughs> graphic designers. I tend to think the problem is just, you know, shallow egotistical graphic designers <laughs> that, you know, don't want or care about anything deeper at least on the surface. But I, I think you have a good point, Chapel, that maybe it's just, this is what media is right now. And you know, nobody in any other industry is finding any deep, critical, uh, interesting conversation about something, which I, I am tempted to believe. But then I've also like, there are things I have learned. I've learned tons about other things from the internet. Like I've found these communities in other places that are not graphic design. Uh, when I've been trying to learn about something or in, insert myself into some kind of world. Uh, and so I feel like, it's not impossible, but I'm getting more skeptical. <laughs> I don't know. So how about this? Um, Maurice, I want to start with you. What, 
What are the things that you, in, in your 20-hour day, where you're only sleeping 20 minutes a day every four hours, uh, what are the things that you will actually spend time to read or listen to or participate in? What are the design-related things that you will like seek out online? Ooh, the design-related things. That's I'm putting question. you on the spot a little bit. I didn't tell you I was going to no, ask no, this no. question because I didn't no, think about a... it. But because I, I, you know, <laughs> I had a phase in my life where I was really deep in the graphic design internet, like you know, hundreds of new items in Google Reader every morning, following all the blogs that are you supposed to follow, and you know, following all the famous graphic designers on Twitter because I felt like I should be involved in that world and I wanted exposure to it. And I was young and hungry. Now I'm jaded and old. And I don't do any of those things anymore. <laughs> Uh, and so I'm wondering, what, what is your, like, what are the things you actually will read and seek out or listen to or, or do whatever it is uh, related to design specifically? Do you have any off the top of your head that are like, that's a thing that I think is good and I seek it out? Oh, wow. I mean, I don't want to give a shameless plug for Revision Path because I feel like that was... Well, that was what I was going to say, Maurice. Two on the nose. <laughs> um, but no, when I, when I think of other design-related things, I mean, I will say that I actually do frequent... Uh, designer news on a fairly regular basis uh, but I'm not looking at designer news as like a source for really good you know design critiques or anything like that I, I look at designer news kind of as like uh, you know those those tickers that run across the bottom of your screen mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. have a few stories I just look to kind of see okay well what are, are people kind of talking about like so, what's so it's like a stock ticker a, and it's like Instagram yeah. is down and Uber's up or right. I, I look at it as, as, as that because I think anyone that looks at the threads on there that actually have to deal with talking about other issues, it can get really ugly really fast. Um, and so I don't look to that to that community for that sort of news. I look at it as just sort of a stock ticker. But other types of news, I, I look at Smashing Magazine. Um, every now and then I look at uh, some things that AIGA puts out. Uh, other than that, I mean, wow, when I really think about, like, design, well, design, as we're talking about graphic design and, and web design, uh, not much. I think I want to say that's about it. I mean, I spend most of my time just kind of doing it and talking to people as opposed to kind of seeking out stuff online. But that's a good question. And Matt or Chapel, do you have things that are, like, uh, your go-tos? I mean, I'll say for myself, uh, I haven't read an article on any of the aforementioned design websites in forever sometimes i'll get two sentences in and i'll just i can't i just can't and i close the window and i go away and live my life uh but i i don't really like so there there's a lot of things in the design world that are like interview based revision path is a great mm -hmm. example there's also like the great discontent and debbie millman's podcast design matters um, these are some of the things I would consider like on the better side of like the thoughtful spectrum, but they're always skewed towards the individual, right? It's thoughtful about one particular person's perspective, but usually not a conversation with lots of people. And there's like nothing in terms of community. Like the, 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 the Twitter feed I've sculpted over the years is like just people, uh, you know, sarcastically reacting to all of the actual design news. I don't, I don't get the actual news. I get the sarcastic reactions to it, which allows <laughs> me to get there somehow uh but but yeah like I, I don't have anything i really seek out anymore just because i feel like i'm not it's all shallow a little bit and a little bit vapid and i, I can't i'm not getting much from it yeah i was gonna say since uh i'm kind of with you andy like since google reader died uh twitter has become my version of an rss feed but it's usually reactions to articles and rarely am i finding a fantastic design article because I've also kind of narrowed the group of people I follow to like maybe a hundred people that uh, I will, I'll read probably anything, you know, I'll start to read anything they post and see where it goes, but it never end up in one specific spot, right? Everything's a link to like a medium article. Uh, I will say the one, the one place that I find myself on uh, frequently and I enjoy every time I get there is model view culture, which is not design specific, but you know, they talk about design issues occasionally. Um, through a larger lens but i don't have any like even things i used to go to like um design observer uh i haven't gone to as frequently and like i never really wanted to go to a place like fast company or wired design or wired design is a new one but it's the same thing um not just not not interesting stuff i don't know you know we had i mean andy when we had the on the grid subreddit like that was my source just like other hoping other people would submit um design news there and which happened all of 12 times pretty good yeah, why not? 
So I'm also, where I kind of want to steer the conversation is into what conceivably this show could maybe be in this world. Because my, my, my interest in making this podcast is wanting to, as Chapel said, kind of be the change you want to see in the world. So if, if I want more critical discourse uh, with multiple people with different perspectives, like we should try and make that thing. Uh, what are like some pitfalls we could fall into that would, be, that would make it bad? And what are some things that we could actually like focus on to try and make this better, do we think? So, I mean, I'll start off. Like, Matt, you had mentioned that you're really interested in following up on things years after they're released and seeing what their effectiveness is. Should we, like, be doing an episode on, like, iOS 7 and flat design? Is, is, that, is that what you're looking for? I mean, maybe not that specifically, but if that, if that actually had some sort of positive or negative effect on the world, I would be very interested in finding that out because wouldn't now be the time that we're going to know uh, when it's actually had time... Uh, time to seep its way into the culture like i do think the idea that like an operating system can change the entire style that people think design should look like i think that's an interesting thing to look at right that's far more interesting than reacting to the fact that the operating system looks different on day one right and i assume we should be avoiding this kind of reactionary just like gut response to something that happens in the world i'll get very bored if you make me do that um i you know i i will toss out there that um you know, I recently finished a book with uh, Scott Stoll, who runs Open uh, Design Studio here in New York City. And the, the book was an oral history style book. So basically, we interviewed hundreds of people and um, we would focus on one project and uh, that Open did. And we would interview the clients, the, you know, everyone who was a part of it, the designers. Um and it was all really fun, really interesting, but by far the most interesting thing was that we interviewed just average people who were what you would call like end users. Um, mm-hmm. And that is honestly where it got so good. And it's probably one of the hardest ways to report and talk about design, but talking to the people whose lives are actually affected by this stuff is so good. Whether it's like your mom or it's someone you meet on the street, it, that is where it gets fascinating. And we would interview people about some signage that my friend Scott and his uh, group created. And they would learn all this stuff that was so fascinating, this like feedback of their work that's now going to inform them going forward. And then it becomes this actual interesting conversation and designers are no longer these weird like magician people who just come in and <laughs> fix things. It's more a dialogue between designers and people and just wanting to make things better. And, and I think that for me personally it is what's missing in pretty much all design writing and all, all criticism these days is that, um, is that idea that it, it really is about that little connection with people at a table like working together and it's so we so rarely see that it's usually just like here's a logo what do you think america you know (laughs) i actually that would be the other the other side of that too is the speaking to the people that are using it but but also talking uh getting real stories from people about what the process was actually like would be very interesting to me um right be exposing design is not magic like not magic at all, not even close. Uh, just because I, I hate the way that it's presented, like you just said, Chapel, like, and here it is. It happened. Mm-hmm. Check it out. <laughs> um, drives me crazy because I know no one, no one who actually works uh, in design experiences anything that way. That's not how they work. It kind of like, uh, in my mind, it just devalues everything about the work that was done to get there. Like the magic is not exciting at all. Everything that led up to it is. Uh, and also, like, I feel like we have this problem where um, I feel like every young designer looks at, at older designers as like, wow, they really just have every single thing figured it out. But when you actually see it happen, um, the same frustrations exist. Like, it's humanizing. It's nice. I like to see that. Like, when you've been on the inside of it, you see that, like, people who have done it for years and years and years and you think are the greatest in the whole world, like, might experience the same problems as you. They have to get over these things as well and, like, solve for them. And that's the skill set. It's not just like presenting the final thing and saying that it's done and then shipping it out to the world. Yeah, I mean, uh, in the in the average design project, you're probably almost fired like four times. 
you know, <laughs> yeah. it's definitely like a, um, it's, it's a, it's a process and to, to present it as a, as a clean finish ending is it's, well, it's not an interesting story. And, um, you know, you have things like, do you guys remember the, the university of California? I think, uh, they're sure rebranding oh, yeah. that mm-hmm. whole, that whole thing, which, uh, Basically, University of California has many, many campuses, like 16 or something, spread out all over the state of California, and they were did this big rebranding and uh, used their in-house creative team. And it was kind of like, it was just kind of like, here it is, internet, and people went nuts, they were angry, and it was the time where um, reaction became incredibly dangerous because uh, many people... Uh, wrote letters you had you had like professors like you know saying i'm gonna quit uh over this new logo and you know it went through this whole thing when you know i actually interviewed the woman who ran the in-house team at the time and once you really hear the story and really hear the thought behind it and hear everything it's just like it's an incredible story that's more than it's it's not just about design it's about people trying to work together to actually improve something. Uh, and that's, yep. that's a story literally anyone can relate to. Um, and, and that's the kind of stuff you want to read about. You don't want to read about people being like, it looks like a, a turd in a toilet, you know. That's something that uh, <laughs> I, I, when I realized that what really set me apart as a designer as opposed to some other person in a different career was just that I was going to overthink everything and like go really into detail about something as opposed to having this magic skill of just making things look pretty or, you know, spitting out a nice color palette. It was just that I was the one that was going to be like, well, hold on. What happens when X and everyone will go, oh, interesting. We hadn't thought about X. And I would go, yes, X. Let's think about that. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's not it's not a it's not a thing. That's not like a cool thing you can put in your portfolio. Uh, that does not make for these fun, retweetable things. It's just. That is the process. That's what ends up happening. So yeah, more of that, I guess. Talk about process. It sounds like it's the thing that people would probably benefit from. Well, yeah. And, and you know, I also to, to kind of bring some uh, positivity to our conversation and to this, to this industry, um, I, I do, I, we may not see as much criticism uh, written, um, but I think it's really important to remember that not, like criticism isn't just words on paper. Um, it's also action. And, you know, I, as as a there's this design writer Ralph Kaplan who's incredible. Get his books, please. Uh, he wrote about you know the greatest design of the 1960s wasn't a typewriter or a building; it was the sit-in. And he talked about mm. the sit-in as a form of criticism, as a way to criticize your government. And um, that really stuck with me. As you know, you don't just have to write, and some people aren't you know, don't have the gift to write and don't want to write. Some people don't want to read. And that's, that's cool. That's you do you. But um, I do see today in our industry, I see a lot of criticism in action. Um, I can't tell you the amount of emails I get from, you know, white male friends who are giving up their spot on a 100% white male design panel and asking me if I'd like to take their place or if I would like to nominate, you know, another woman or a person of color. And that's the kind of stuff that, to me, that that's actual critique of your industry. Um, and I mean, I even view like, you know, I don't, of course, know how Maurice feels about it, but his show or vision path, to me, I see that as a form of criticism of an industry. And um, maybe Maurice, you could talk more about <laughs> if you do see revision path as a form of criticism. Oh, absolutely. Um, I, I see it, I think, as a, I don't know, I, 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 would want to say a passive form of criticism because what I what I've certainly seen a lot of people talk about as it relates to diversity in technology and diversity in design you get a lot of very angry impassioned uh, you know tweets and and articles and things of that nature but I mean that anger is good to kind of get people riled up but then it's not really helping the underlying problem mm-hmm. in a way it's just getting people angrier about it which might spur them to action, but what about the people that are already in this industry that are working and, and that are, are kind of doing these great, wonderful things that nobody is really kind of looking at and talking about? So when I interview people for Revision Path, I'm always looking at, well, kind of what what can they bring to the table in terms of what they do just in general, but also what kind of story are they telling about 
who they are and sort of what brought them into this industry. And it's it's interesting from all the people I've talked to and not just people here in the U.S., but, you know, folks in, in Europe, folks in Africa, kind of what sort of brought each of them into this industry. And it's interesting to kind of see how similar a lot, you know, we all are about what makes us excited about design, what makes us want to be designers, what makes us want to dedicate, you know, our working lives for this profession. Yeah, that's, that's, uh, that's definitely kind of what I wanted to bring up is that, you know, we are kind of committing our own acts of criticism in other ways, I think. And, um, and I, I feel like it's kind of, it feels like a new way of going about it. And um, I'm pretty excited about that. So, you know, we might have some disappointing outlets so far as design criticism goes, but I think we're still doing good things. Andy, maybe you're just, you're looking at all the wrong places. You're looking for a very specific <laughs> medium and it's happening all around you. It's just content creation is easier now. You don't just have to, <laughs> writing isn't your only form of expression. Yeah. Get with it, Andy. Well, that's the thing. That's what's so great about the internet, right? Is not everyone has to be a writer. There are so many other ways to communicate. Uh, yeah. And that's like, there are a few people like on Twitter whose tweets are actually critical. They're not reactionary. It's like, here's a tweet that is an actual interesting thought out thing that yeah. is not necessarily tailor made to get a bunch of retweets. So people are using that medium for more than just what it's designed for. And, you know, same goes with podcasts and all the other things. So, yeah, that, that's kind of the promise of the Internet. And, and may this podcast itself be both a passive and an active form of criticism. As we move forward, that should, that should be our goal uh, because I do think that, I think we can have more of it. I think, I think we can do better. Maybe uh, that's a, your slogan, passive and active criticism. There we go. I think it's, it's better perfect. than what we started with. Basically. <laughs> um, all right. So let's go to the last word. Uh, this is a chance for everybody to kind of uh, tie up the episode. Mention the last thought you might have. Uh, Matt, I'm going to put you on the spot first. What do, you, what do you want to say to close this conversation? I'm, I'm going to say I feel more encouraged than when we started. I thought we were going to end with like, yeah, I guess, I guess the internet is just a garbage place and we can't have anything nice. But now I'm feeling pretty good about it. We're making our own criticism. Everybody here is doing it. Uh, maybe we can make this some, some place where at least, a, at least a tiny good thing happens, I hope. And maybe we're just not looking in the right places for design criticism. Maurice, final word. Oh, final word. Well, I think that design journalism certainly kind of suffers from... Uh, at least what we see right now, a bit of, of hero worship. Um, what what can end up happening is that you end up seeing the same six or seven dozen companies or people kind of regurgitated back into sort of the news cycle. And so I think part of what you're saying about how you feel that it's a little shallow, it's because you're kind of hearing the same things and the same people over and over and over again. And it's not really, you're not really hearing about fresh new ideas or, or fresh new things. Uh, that are happening but certainly I think that you know this show can be a a breeding ground for some really deep critical thought about a number of different topics as it relates to design one thing in particular I would love to see and this is I guess kind of a future episode thing is kind of the intersection of design with civic good um, there are people that I've interviewed for the show um, Dory Tunstall for example Dr. Dory Tunstall who was part of the uh, U.S. National Design Policy Initiative, which I'm not even sure if that's something most designers even know, that the country has a design policy initiative. Um, how can they contribute to it? And sort of what does that mean in terms of being able to take the skills that you have as a designer and use it towards civic good? Like maybe it's redesigning ballots, maybe it's highway signs, maybe it's something even you know bigger than that. But it's it's using your skills and talents to kind of, I guess, advance the greater good. Chapel, bring us home. Um, you know, I, I, think, I think that we're really lucky because we have this industry that actually exists inside of every other industry. Um, you know, in medicine, there are medical designers. Um, you know, every industry has designers. And so that means that every industry also has design stories. Um, so we can find that kind of stuff everywhere, even if we don't have the one watering hole where we all go to talk about design, it's gonna be okay. Um, and also the fact that it's, again, a super young industry, it's still like baby tots, it's barely, it's barely walking. So I, I, have, I have hopes for it. And it's, uh, 
because we're kind of living through the internet with writing and criticism right now, we always have to remember that the internet is super transient. It's like we're nomads. We were all kicked out of Google Reader. We moved on. <laughs> you know, we were all kicked out of, you know, Design Observer. You know, like everything moves and changes and shifts and, and that's kind of nature. So I believe that the next watering hole will pop up and uh, maybe right now it's Twitter, but maybe tomorrow it's something else that's a little bit more substantial. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like I feel pretty good. I hope you guys feel a little bit better. <laughs> I feel good. This was very optimistic. Uh, it did not go as dark <laughs> as I thought it was going to go. And uh, Maurice and Chapel, thank you both for being here. It was truly a joy to have you on the first episode. It was a brave move to hop <laughs> on for the first episode of something that has not prior existed. So you didn't know what you were in for. So thank you both. Uh, everybody, you can find both Maurice and, El- and Chapel on Twitter. You should follow both of them. Anything else you two want to plug? Chapel, your book, perhaps? Maurice, your podcast? Uh, well, yeah, of course, Revision Path is uh, revisionpath.com. New episodes every Monday, 10 a.m. Eastern. Um, and depending on when this show is going to air, I'll also be speaking uh, at How Design Live on May 20th, giving a presentation called Where Are the Black Designers? Hopefully, I'll be giving that at a few other conferences this year, fingers crossed. But uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much it right now. Anything else, Chapel? Uh, my Twitter handle is Chapel Tracker, um, and I, I think you'll you'll know what I'm up to if you go there. There we go. Working file, active and passive criticism. <laughs> <laughs> You can follow the show at Working File on Twitter. Our website, workingfile.co, has all of our episodes and bios of our contributors. You can subscribe using RSS or subscribe on iTunes. And you can leave us a review. Leave us a good review on iTunes. We appreciate it. Five stars, baby!